Good morning, everyone. So I am really excited about homecoming on September 11th, uh, Sunday. We are going to be launching small groups. And this is a big deal. God has really guided me in, in, this, in this process of thinking through getting us all on the same page with what he's doing. And what God has really shown me is, you know, we need to look at the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said it was better that he leave, because if he didn't leave, then he couldn't send his Holy Spirit, which is Jesus Christ in spirit form, into all believers. So it's actually better for us to have the Holy Spirit in all believers than to have Jesus himself in the, in the flesh, because with Jesus' spirit in all of us, we become the body of Jesus Christ when we come together, and it testifies to the truth of who Jesus is to the world. So we're going to be studying the Holy Spirit through reading through the book of Acts together, starting in a couple weeks, and we're also going to be studying the work of the Holy Spirit, reading a book that is quite amazing called River Dwellers. It's a book that all of our small groups are going to be doing together. So many of you have talked to me about leading a small group. I've already spoken to you. We're in process with that, but we're looking for some more small group leaders, people that are willing to facilitate a group in their home to offer hospitality. And I'm going to be providing discussion questions. All you need to do is open your house for a three-month period of time and meet weekly and just go over these questions, read the book together. And I think the guy's going to do great things as we all get on the same page with what he's doing at New Life. Uh, I just feel like that God is so at work in us. We are coming to the end of a, of a series that we've been in called Tell Me All Your Thoughts on God. And this is a series that has brought us through the summer. And we've been looking at things that are true of God alone. Things that are unique to God. And uh, next week will be our final message in that series. Today we're looking at God is Just and Merciful. Before we get into the, the sermon, I want to read an entire chapter of scripture to you that we will revisit. If you'd like a Bible, you can put your hand in the air, and Usher will be happy to bring you one. But we're going to read Isaiah 53. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, written thousands of years before Jesus was born. And I think this ties in directly with what God is saying to us about his justice and his mercy. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Amen? Wow. What an amazing scripture. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Who can say that's true of them? Ultimately, it's true. And from day to day, it's true, right? We turn our own way. Every day is a new choice set before us. Are you going to walk in the Spirit? Or are you going to walk in the flesh? Are you going to take hold of Christ? 
or walk the other direction. Even as Christians, we face this choice. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. So, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus bore the full weight of humanity's sin on the cross. Please join me as we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, as we look at this idea of justice and mercy and who you are, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded to treat this topic with reverence. For you did not stand aloof and to the side as humanity struggled under the weight of sin. As we rebelled against you and broke your law and turned away from you, and even as we still turn away from you time and time again, Jesus Christ bears the iniquity of us all who look to him in faith. This is a truth that is weighty, it's heavy, and we are so thankful for your love and your grace in our lives. Lord, give us a spear of wisdom and revelation so we might know you better this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if someone is all-powerful and has all authority, that can be a scary thing. I think most of us feel nervous about power and authority because we don't necessarily feel trust towards the people who wield that power. This is North Korea's uh, dictator-in-chief, Kim Jong-un. But here's, a, here's an example. We, uh, we have such a difficulty, people having ultimate power and authority, because there are people in the world and throughout history who have abused relentlessly the power and authority given to them, people that could not be trusted, people that became hungry for power and obsessed with keeping power at all costs, oppressing people, hurting people, tearing people down. No justice. No justice. We have a problem with this idea. But ultimate power and authority and justice are not a bad thing in the right hands. They're not. This morning, as we go into this talk about God's justice and God's mercy, the first thing we just need to agree together is that God is good. God is good. 
He is good. Everything about God flows from his essential nature, nature of goodness. He is favorably disposed towards humanity. As we read in Isaiah 53, look what God did. Look at the length that God went through to redeem and save his people. God is good. In the right hands, ultimate power and authority, and even justice is good, right, and true. God is good, so God's justice is good. Can we agree on that this morning? It's a good thing. Last week we talked about God being a king. I read a quote in the River Dwellers book, and there was a lot of things surrounding this quote, but the author was telling a story about his life and about a series of events where he and his family and even his ministry were suffering, were suffering greatly. And they were asking God, why? Why are things so hard? Why are things not going the way that we hoped? And uh, kind of after some prayer, after some talking together, he and his wife were ready to kind of throw up their hands. And his wife just said this thing to him that was so profound to him. She said, you know what? God is the king. He can do what he wants. And ultimately, that's true. God is the king. God can do what he wants. He's not constrained by anything outside of himself to do anything that he does. God is completely intrinsically motivated. God is the king. He can do what he wants. But couple this with what we talked about earlier. God is good. God is just. God is merciful. And he exercises these two qualities simultaneously. In fact, I'm convinced that these, this is two sides of the same coin. God does not suspend his love when he exercises justice. And he does not suspend his mercy when he exercises justice. He doesn't suspend his love. God is all of the things that God is all at the same time. Us human beings, I think we can agree, if you don't have your coffee in the morning, some of you, you become a very unjust person. <laughs> all, You suspend all goodwill and kindness and love, and you just lash out. You know, we change. We change all the time as human beings. Think about uh, from the beginning of life to the end of life. A human being that is essentially a merciful, loving, gracious person early in life, through life's sufferings and difficulties, they can become a really, really grouchy person later in life. Someone who is bitter, whose heart and heart... Uh, They can suspend all of those things that were once true about them and no longer be those things. But God says, I am God. I do not change. God has never changed. God hasn't changed one iota since the creation of the world, and he won't change one iota uh, in eternity. God has always been essentially the same. Where we change, God remains the same. And that is a comforting thought when you think about the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God. Uh, Because God doesn't change, we can rely on him. We can rely on God fully where we can't rely on people. I want to read from Luke 3, 2 to 6. And this is a passage that I'm convinced talks about the idea of God's justice and mercy. So if you're reading along, Luke 3, 2 to 6. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist, not the Apostle John, okay? He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, 
make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the language of God's justice in the Bible. And this might be different from what you have in your mind. You know what God's justice means? It means equity. It means that the things that are elevated higher than they ought to be are brought down. And the things that are lower than they should be are brought up. God came and Jesus came to bring about equity. And when everything is in equity, God's justice is expressed. Interesting thing about God's justice is when it says the righteousness of God in the Bible, it means the same thing as the justice of God. It's the same kind of, same word. It means equity. It means everything is as it should be. Nothing too high, nothing too low. Everything where it needs to be. Our driveway in our new house has this huge pothole as you're coming out of the driveway. And then uh, by the mailbox, as you're kind of pulling out, there's another pothole. So you kind of go, ba-bump, ba-bump twice as you come out of my driveway. That is an unjust driveway. I know that's kind of a funny thing to say, but that's an unjust driveway. Something is uh, low that shouldn't be low, and there's, there are even bumps that are higher than they should be. Um, evenness and a straight path is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about justice. All those things prophesied in Luke 3, uh, that he would raise up the valleys and bring down the mountains and make a straight path for God's work, is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about justice. Equity, equality. Isn't this something that everyone can get behind to some degree? Don't we want there to be more equality in the world? Don't all of us deeply desire that things be set right in the world? You know, when sin came into the world, there were some consequences that came into the world along with that sin. Greg alluded to this earlier in our welcome. There was death, sickness, suffering, violence, oppression. If you just look into your Facebook feed and Hit the search box. Every day, you are reminded of the effect of sin in the world. We live in an unjust world. But Jesus Christ came to raise up the valleys and bring down the mountains, to bring things into equilibrium. Jesus Christ came to take away the twistedness of sin, both in this life and ultimately when he comes back in the life to come. The word for iniquity, have you heard this word before, iniquity? It's used for sin. It means twisted. It means essentially, by its very nature, twisted. Jesus came to take away iniquity, to fill in the holes, to bring down the mountains, to make a straight path for the Lord. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God. The kingdom that God rules uh, is when any person surrenders their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It lives life according to his uh, lordship. The kingdom of God in the scripture, as we talked about last week, Uh, is prophesied uh, where there's an age to come, right, where things are set right by Jesus. The Bible talks about this through and through. It'd be an amazing study to do if you like this kind of thing. The Bible talks about a day coming when everything will be set right. Jesus will set everything right, ultimately. Everything will be set right. And that is the hope that we have as believers as we suffer in the world. Everything is going to be set right. Right now, we deal with death, sickness, pain, suffering, violence, But in the kingdom to come, the Bible teaches, there will be life. There will be healing. No more pain. No more death. Peace. Glory. Justice. Righteousness. And God 
will do away with sin and death once for all. And the tender scripture says in Revelation, and he, Jesus Christ, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more suffering, and no more pain. For the old order of this age will have passed away. This is the blessed hope we have as believers. Until that day, we live in this current age in which we live. But the amazing thing about Jesus Christ uh, coming and giving his life as a sacrifice for sin, as we read about in Isaiah 53, is that Jesus Christ brought about the age to come, breaking into the current age in which we live. So in, the, in this current age in which we live, Jesus is bringing about the things we read about at the culmination of the age. He's bringing about peace, healing, life, taking away pain and death, justice. God is working on this right now in the age in which we live. And in the kingdom of God, wherever anyone bows the knee to Jesus, these things are already happening to some degree. We are already in this kingdom, but it's not yet fully fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's not yet fully fulfilled, but the creation groans along with the children of God waiting for the day when Jesus comes and brings his reign to its fullness. This is the picture that we have. Wherever God is ruling, it's Jesus' kingdom, and there's equity. Things are equal. In some situations, um, we can talk about some situations in the Bible. God bringing about equity manifests itself in judgment. And in some situations, God bringing about equity manifests itself in mercy. This is really interesting. Either human beings have to fill in the pothole of injustice, either they are made to pay for the hole that they've dug, or God pays for it. When people, because of the justice of God, will not turn to Jesus for salvation, they have no hope. They have no hope. They have to pay for the iniquity in their lives. They have to pay for the injustice. All of us have sinned against God and against other people. We've dug these deep potholes. We have no ability to fill. But when we do not look to Jesus Christ to fill that pothole in our lives, we carry that iniquity on ourselves. That's the truth of the Bible. And that's a sobering truth. Without Jesus, there's no salvation. And apart from Jesus, there's no hope. In the Old Testament, there were times when people, they refused the mercy of God. God was patient and long-suffering with people, and they just refused the mercy of God. Uh, Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, it's a classic kind of example of God's judgment falling on the people. And God was making the crooked way smooth and filling in the pothole when he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. They were a people who, without repentance, without any, they were even offered mercy uh, through the prayers of, of Lot, they refused the mercy of God. And uh, they, they were people who, who killed the people that came as guests, murdered them, raped them. They were awful. I mean, this was, this was humanity at its very worst here. And God brought a judgment on them. God brought a judgment on them. And he did away with that whole city because they refused to turn from their sin. They refused to turn from their sin. And if you don't look to God for mercy, there is no way that that sin can be paid for. There's something, there's inequality, and that has to get filled in with the judgment on people. And that's what happened to these people. Uh, They were judged by God. The judgment of God uh, falling on that city was a manifestation of his justice. It was a manifestation of his uh, equity. He needed to make things right in that moment in that city, and he made things right. They had to carry the full weight of that. And then in the New Testament, in Acts 5, 1 to 11, 
We have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we're going to be preaching through this book, the book of Acts, and, and touching on this scripture again. It's a very difficult scripture. But at this time when, when the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit, there's all kinds of excitement and momentum. They're meeting in small groups in the houses. They're breaking bread. People were selling their possessions and giving to the poor. People were being added to their number daily who were being saved. In the midst of this amazing work of the Holy Spirit, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a plot of land, and they said, we're giving all the money to the Lord. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. And they said, this is all of the money we got for the land. And the judgment of the Lord fell on Ananias, and he was put to death right at that time because he lied not to people, which is what he thought he was doing. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. And his wife followed suit. They both fell into the judgment of God for lying to the Holy Spirit. It was one of those times when the Spirit of God was so manifested in the church. It was like the Holy of Holies you read about in the Old Testament, where if you go behind this curtain, you're going to be struck down. The holiness of God was made so manifest that in this moment, the judgment fell upon them. That's a manifestation of the equity of God in the Old and the New Testaments in those two stories. But there's other situations in the Bible where God's judgment, bringing about equity, manifests itself in mercy. This is completely dependent on the people that are being talked about. In Luke eight twenty six to 39, there's a demon-possessed man who's completely oppressed by demons. He has a legion of demons in him. He runs about in caves, in a graveyard, cutting himself and just living in this crazy kind of demon-possessed way. He's out of control completely. And Jesus comes to him, and Jesus casts the demons out of this man. In this situation, this great mercy falls upon this man through Jesus Christ, who is under oppression, uh, because God's tender mercy is there for people that are, are trapped, and they're stuck, and they can't get free, and they just look to Jesus. This man talked to Jesus. Jesus set him free. It's an amazing story that I encourage you to read. Um, again, in Luke seven thirty six through 50, and I'm going to read this one. The justice of God is exercised when he talks to a woman who comes to worship him. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith 
has saved you. Go in peace. So here we see this second example of someone coming to Jesus. There was rightful grounds for this woman to be judged. She had lived a sinful lifestyle, as had everyone else in the story, including the Pharisees, who did not see their need for Jesus, by the way. You see the difference? God is just. How you approach God will completely define how you are received by God. If you come to God realizing that you need him to carry your sins and carry your iniquities uh, on himself through faith, you are forgiven, you are set free, you are justified before God, the Bible says. You are justified. But to the people who flatly refuse the gift of Jesus Christ, there is a debt. There is a debt in their lives that cannot be paid by anything but Jesus' blood. And if you refuse the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. Jesus is the only hope. There's no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. And this might seem like a a harsh truth, but to Christians who have received this truth and been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, it's a glorious truth. There was a debt we could not pay, and Jesus, in his justice and mercy, came and forgave that debt of us. It says it this way in Romans, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, that means covering through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Again, substitute justice. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, God had left the sins committed before Jesus was crucified unpunished. God did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross completely covers our sins. It fills our potholes, and we're going to see that the the atonement of Jesus Christ offers even more on top of this mercy that we've been given. The craters, he's filling them in, and he's taking the hills and bringing them down. He's bringing equity to the world right now through his kingdom on earth. And someday, he will come and bring the kingdom in its fullness. And at that time, every wrong, every pothole in this world will be filled in and the, the mounds will be brought low. Everything will be equal underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to be a church where we have a straight path for God to walk on. And for that to be the case, we really need to take our iniquity, our inequity, and lay it at Jesus' feet in humility. Say to him, Jesus, there are holes in my life that need to be filled, and I can't fill them. But I want you to be at work in my life. I want you to take up residence in my life by your Holy Spirit. I want to be saved. But there are holes in my life that I can't fill. There are, there are aspects of my life that I'm not proud of. They're deep kind of caverns. And I need you to fill those with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, there is a full atonement made for our sins. Once again, and I take you to Isaiah 53, and perhaps this will be a little more weighty for you now, thinking about the justice of God. Because if God wasn't good, him having absolute power, authority, and being the one who justifies would be a terrifying thing. But because God is so good, God who is rich in mercy has, has given us a way to be justified through Jesus Christ. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Jesus grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Listen to this. Surely Jesus took up our pain. Surely he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And listen to this. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so Jesus did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Listen to this. But it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After Jesus had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This morning, I just want you to recognize the righteous judge, God, the one who is just and equitable, the righteous judge, God, the one who is just and equitable, did not leave humanity in in a lurch. God himself came in the form of Jesus Christ, God's second self. And God, through Jesus, bore the iniquity of us all, bore the weight of our sin. All of it. From what you did this morning to what you did before you know Jesus to what you will do in the future as you put your faith in Jesus, God bore it all in Jesus. And anyone who looks to Jesus for justification will be saved. Um, God's judgment, looking at Christ and pardoning us, is in your favor if you look to Jesus for salvation, if you partner with God um, and say, I need you. I need you. But apart from Jesus, there is no sacrifice for sin. He is the only one. By his broken body and his shed blood, it's the only way to come to the Father. This is the first gift of our salvation. Just think about your life. Think about the proverbial driveway in your life and the potholes that are in that driveway, the bumps in that driveway, the things that you just can't do anything about. And invite Jesus' atonement into those places. Invite Jesus to make the rough way smooth, to make the crooked path straight, that the Holy Spirit might take up residence in your life, that you might become the new creation in Christ. The world is convinced there is no debt that needs to be paid, so there's no need to look to Jesus. But I'm telling you, we have a debt that we cannot pay. It's so heavy. All of our iniquity, all of our sin... We have no way of redeeming ourselves or saving ourselves. It's only by looking to Jesus Christ that we can be justified in God's sight, that our holes can be filled in, that we can be set free from the power of sin and death to live a life abundantly. 
If you are sitting here with the weight of sin on your shoulders, thinking about your guilt, thinking about your past, thinking about your current predicament, there's no reason to sit in this place any longer when freedom has been offered through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth that never gets old. You have made a way for us to be forgiven and set free from the power of sin and death, to live life in a new kingdom under a new king. We give you praise, Jesus, that through your broken body, through your shed blood, you bore the iniquities of us all. And not only that, by your wounds we are healed. We are set free. We rejoice in this, Lord. We rejoice in this this truth, Lord. It never gets old. It never gets old. We thank you for your justice and your mercy. We thank you that you are bringing about equity in this world and that you will one day subsume sin and death and the kingdoms of this world will become your kingdom. Your kingdom will rule over all. But until that day, in the midst of a world that does not acknowledge you as king and does not acknowledge you as the only way to be forgiven of our sins, in the midst of this world system, Lord, we look to you as our rightful king. We pray that you would even as you have exercised your justice in giving us mercy through Jesus, that we would be conduits of your justice in this world, that we would be a people who take the crooked ways and make them uh, straight, that we would be a people that through the power of your Spirit uh, make smooth ways, that you would use us to fill in those potholes as we apply the atonement of Jesus Christ to many different situations. We submit to you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. You are good. You are good. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.